0: Chapter One of Beric the Briton: A Story of the Roman Invasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Olman. Beric the Briton: A Story of the Roman Invasion by G. A. Henty. Chapter One. A Hostage. It is a fair sight. It may be a fair sight in a Roman's eyes, Beric, but naught could be fouler to those of a Briton. To me, every one of those blocks of bricks and stone weighs down and helps to hold in bondage this land of ours. While that temple they have dared to rear to their guards in celebration of their having conquered Britain is an insult and a lie. We are not conquered yet, as they will some day know to their cost. We are silent, we wait, but we do not admit that we are conquered. I agree with you there. We have never fairly tried our strength against them. These wretched divisions have always prevented our making an effort to gather. Casavallonius and some of the Kentish tribes alone opposed them at their first landing, and he was betrayed and abandoned by the tribes on the north of the Thames. It has been the same thing ever since. We fight piecemeal, and while the Romans hurled their whole strength against one tribe, the others look on with folded hands. Who aided the Trinobantes when the Romans defeated them and established themselves on that hill? No one. They will eat Britain up bit by bit. Then you like them no better for having lived among them, Beric? I like them more, but I fear them more. One cannot be four years among them, as I was, without seeing that in many respects we might copy them with advantage. They are a great people. Compare their splendid mansions and their regular orderly life. Their manners and their ways with our rough huts and our feasts ending as often as not with quarrels and brawls. Look at their arts, their power of turning stone into lifelike figures, and above all the way in which they can transfer their thoughts to white leaves so that others, many, many years hence, can read them and know all that was passing and what men thought and did in the long bygone. Truly it is marvelous. You are half Romanized, Beric his companion said roughly i think not the other said quietly i should be worse than a fool had i lived as i have done a hostage among them for four years without seeing that there is much to admire much that we could imitate with advantage in their life and ways but there is no reason because they are wiser and far more polished and in many respects a greater people than we that they should come here to be our masters these things are desirable, but they are as nothing to freedom. I have said that I like them more for being among them. I like them more for many reasons. They are grave and courteous in their manner to each other. They obey their own laws. Every man has his rights, and while all yield obedience to their superiors, the superiors respect the rights of those below them the highest among them cannot touch the property or the life of the lowest in rank all this seems to me excellent but then on the other hand my blood boils in my veins at the contempt in which they hold us at their greed their rapacity their brutality their denial to us of all rights in their eyes we are but savages but wild men who may be useful for tilling the ground for them, but who, if troublesome, should be hunted down and slain like wild beasts? I admire them for what they can do. I respect them for their power and learning, but I hate them as our oppressors. That is better, Beric, much better. I have begun to fear that the guardhouses and the splendor of these Romans might have sapped your patriotism. I hate them all. I hate changes. I would live as we have always lived. But you forget, Boduak, that we ourselves have not been standing still. Through our long past forefathers, when they crossed from Gaul wave after wave, were rude warriors. We have been learning ever since from Gaul as the Gauls have learned from the romans and the romans themselves admit that we have advanced greatly since the days when under their caesar they first landed here look at the town on the hill there though tis roman now tis not changed so much from what it was under that great king Cunobeline, while his people had knowledge of many things of which we and the other tribes of the Isenai, knew nothing. What good did it do them? The other asked scornfully. They lie prostrate under the Roman yoke. It was easy to destroy their towns, while we, who have few towns to destroy, live comparatively free. Look across at Camelodium, Cunambeline's capital. Where are the men who built the houses? who dressed in soft garments, who aped the Romans, and who regarded us as nigh savage men, gone every one of them, hewn down on their own hearthstones, or thrust out with their wives and families to wander homeless. Is there one left of them in yonder town? Their houses they were so proud of, their cultivated fields, their wealth of all kinds has been seized by the Romans. Did they fight any better for their Roman fashions? Not they. The kingdom of Cunobeline, from the Thames to the Western Sea, fell to pieces at a touch, and it was only among the wild cilures that Caractactus was able to make any great resistance. But we did no better, Bodoc. Astorius crushed us as easily as Claudius crushed the Tinobantes, It is no use our setting ourselves against change. All that you urge against the Trinobantes and the tribes of Kent and the Salaris might urge with equal force against us. You must remember that we were like them not so many ages back. The intercourse of the Gauls with us on the eastern seacoast and with the Kentish tribes has changed us greatly. We are no longer like the western tribes mere hunters living in shelters of bows and roaming the forests our dress with our long mantles our loose vests and trousers differ as widely from that of those western tribes as it does from the romans we live in towns and if our houses are rude they are solid we no longer depend solely on the chase but till the ground and have our herds of cattle i dare say There were many of our ancestors who sat themselves as much against the Gaulish customs as you do against these of the Romans, but we adopt them and benefited by them, and though I would exult in seeing the last Roman driven from our land, I should like after their departure to see us adopt what is good and orderly and decent in their customs and laws." Beric's companion growled a malediction upon everything Roman. "'There is one thing certain,' he said after a pause. "'Either they must go altogether, not only here but everywhere. "'They must learn, as our ancestors taught them at their first two invasions, "'that it is hopeless to conquer Britain. "'Or they will end by being absolute masters of the island, "'and we shall be their servants and slaves.' That is true enough, Beric agreed, but to conquer we must be united, and not only united but steadfast. Of course I have learned much of them while I have been with them. I have come to speak their language and have listened to their talk. It is not only the Romans who are here whom we have to defeat, it is those who will come after them. The power of Rome is great. How great, we cannot tell but it is wonderful and almost inconceivable. They have spread over vast countries, reducing people everywhere under their dominion. I have seen what they call maps showing the world as far as they know it, and well nigh all has been conquered by them. But the farther away from Rome, the more difficulty have they in holding what they have conquered. That is our hope here. We are very far from Rome, they may send army after army against us, but in time they will get weary of the loss and expense when there is so little to gain, and as after their first invasion a long time elapsed before they again troubled us. So in the end they may abandon a useless enterprise. Even now the Romans grumble at what they call their exile, but they are obstinate and tenacious. And to rid our land of them for good, it would be necessary for us not only to be united among ourselves when we rise against them, but to remain so, and to oppose with our whole force the fresh armies they will bring against us. You know how great the difficulties will be, Bodak? We want one great leader whom all the tribes will follow, just as all the Roman legions obey one general. And what chance is there of such a man arising? A man so great, so wise, so brave, that all the tribes of Britain will lay aside their enmities and jealousies and submit themselves to his absolute guidance. If we wait for that, Beric, we may wait forever. Boduoc said in a somber tone, At any rate, it is not while we are tranquil under the Roman heel that such a man could show himself. If he is to come to the front, it must be in the day of battle. Then, possibly, one chief may rise so high above his fellows that all might recognize his merits and agree to follow him. That is so, Beric agreed. But is it possible that even the greatest hero should find support from all? Cassavillanus was betrayed by Trinobantes who could have united the tribe more than the sons of Cunobelin, who reigned over well nigh all Britain, and who was a great king ruling wisely and well, and doing all in his power to raise and advance the people. And yet when the hour came the kingdom broke up into pieces. Verick, the chief of the county, went to Rome and invited the invader to aid him against his rivals at home and that a man of the Iceni or the Brigantes, marched to the aid of Caractactus and Togodaminus. What wonder, then, that these were defeated? Worse than all, when Caractactus was driven a fugitive to hide among the Brigantes, did not their queen, Caratus Mandua, hand him over to the Romans? Where can we hope to find a leader more fitted to unite us than was Caractacus, the son of the king whom we all at least recognize and paid tribute to, a prince who had learned wisdom from a wise father, a warrior enterprising bold and indomitable, a true patriot? If Caractacus could not unite us, what hope is there of finding another who will do so? Moreover, our position is far worse now than it was ten years ago. The Belgae and Dum in the southwest have been crushed after 30 battles. The Dobuni in the center have been defeated and garrisoned. The Silures have set an example to us all, inflicting many defeats on the Romans. But their power has at last been broken. The Brigantes and ourselves have both been heavily struck as we deserved boduoc for standing aloof from Caractacus at first thus the task of shaking off the roman bonds is far more difficult now than it was when when Plautius landed here twenty years ago well it is time for me to be going on won't you come with me boduoc not i beric i never want to enter their town again save with a sword in one hand and a torch in the other. It enrages me to see the airs of superiority they give themselves. They scarce seem even to see us as we walk in their streets. And as to the soldiers, as they stride along with helmet and shield, my fingers itch to meet them in the forest. No, I promise to walk so far with you, but I go no further. How long will you be there? Two hours at most, I should say. The sun is halfway down, Beric. I will wait for you till it touches that hill over there. Till then you will find me sitting by the first tree at the spot where we left the forest. Beric nodded and walked on towards the town. The lad, for he was not yet sixteen, was the son of Parter, the chief Tainus, of one of the divisions of the great tribe of the Iceni who occupied the tract of country now known as suffolk norfolk cambridge and huntington this tribe had yielded but a nominal allegiance to the Cunobeline, and had held aloof during the struggle between Caractactus and the romans but when the latter had attempted to establish forts in their country they had taken up arms astoria scapula the roman proprietor and defeated them with great slaughter and they had submitted to the roman authority the sarci the division of the tribe to which beric belonged had taken a leading part in the rising and his father had fallen in defence of their entrenchments among the beric tribes the women ranked with the men and even when married the wife was often the acknowledged chief of the tribe Porter had held an equal authority with her husband and at his death remained sole head of the sub-tribe and in order to ensure its obedience in the future astorius had insisted that her only son beric at that time a boy of eleven should be handed over to them as a hostage had Porter consulted her own wishes she would have retired with a few followers to the swamps and fens of the country to the north rather than surrender a son but the brigantes who inhabited lincolnshire and who ranged over the whole of the north of britain as far as northumberland had also received defeat at the hands of the romans and might not improbably hand her over upon their demand she therefore resigned herself to let beric go my son she said i need not tell you not to let them romanize you you have been brought up to hate them your father has fallen before their weapons half your tribe have been slain your country lies under their feet i will not wrong you then by fearing for a moment that they can make a roman of you you have been brought up to lie upon the bare ground to suffer fatigue and hardships hunger and thirst and the rich food and splendid houses and soft raiment of the romans should have no attraction for you i know not how long your imprisonment among them may last for the present i have little hope of another rising but should i see a prospect of anything like unity among our people i will send with a message to you to hold yourself in readiness to escape when you receive the signal that the time has come till then employ your mind in gaining what good you may by your residence among them, there must be some advantage in their methods of warfare which has enabled the people of one city to conquer the world. It is not their strength, for they are but pygmies to us. We stand a full head above them, and even we women are stronger than Roman soldiers, and yet they defeat us. Learn then their language. Throw your whole mind into that at first, then study their military discipline and their laws it must be the last as much as their discipline that has made them rulers over so vast an empire find out if you can the secret of their rule and study the training by which their soldiers move and fight as if bound together by a cord forming massive walls against which we break ourselves in vain heed not their arts pay no attention to their luxuries these did criminal blind no good and did not for a day delay the destruction that fell upon his kingdom what we need is first a knowledge of their military tactics so that we may drive them from the land secondly a knowledge of their laws that we may rule ourselves wisely after they have gone what there is good in the rest may come in time However kind they may be to you, bear always in mind that you are but a prisoner among the oppressors of your country, and that though for reasons of policy they may treat you well, yet that they mercilessly despoil and ill-treat your countrymen. Remember too, Beric, that the Britons, Caractiacus has been sent a prisoner to Rome, need a leader one who is not only brave and valiant in the fight, but who can teach the people how to march to victory, and can order and rule them well afterwards. We are part of one of our greatest tribes, and from among us, if anywhere, such a leader should come. I have great hopes of you, I know that you are brave, for single-handed you slew with an arrow a great wolf the other day but bravery is common to all. I do not think there is a coward in the tribe. I believe you are intelligent. I consulted the old druid in the forest last week, and he prophesied a high destiny for you. And when the messenger brought the Roman summons for me to deliver you up as a hostage, it seemed to me that this was, of all things, the one that would fit you best for future rule. I am not ambitious for you, Beric. It would be naught to me if you were king of all the Britons. It is of our country that I think. We need a great leader, and my prayer to the gods is that one may be found. If you should be the man, so much the better. But if not, let it be another. Comport yourself among them independently, as one who will some day be chief of a British tribe. Be not sullen or obstinate mix freely with them learn their language gather what are the laws under which they live see how they build those wonderful houses of theirs watch the soldiers at their exercise so that when you return among us you can train the sarsi to fight in a similar manner keep the one purpose always in your mind exercise your muscles daily for among us no man can lead who is not as strong and as brave as the best to follow him Bear yourself, so that you shall be in good favor with all men. Beric had, to the best of his power, carried out the instructions of his mother. It was the object of the Romans always to win over their adversaries, if possible, and the boy had no reason to complain of his treatment. He was placed in charge of Caius Muro, commander of a legion, and a slave was at once appointed to teach him Latin. He took his meals with the scribe and steward of the household. For Caius was of noble family of considerable wealth, and his house in was in Camalodium, He was a kindly and just man, and much beloved by his troops. As soon as Beric had learned the language, Caius ordered the scribe to teach him the elements of Roman law, and a was ordered to take him in hand and instruct him in arms. As Beric was alike eager to study and to exercise in arms, he gained the approval of both his teachers. Julia, the wife of Chaos, a kindly lady, took a great fancy to the boy. He will make a fine man, Chaos, she said one day when the boy was fourteen years old. See how handsome and strong he is? Why, Scipio, the son of Centurius Metellus, is older by two years, and yet he is less strong than this young Briton. They are a fine race, Julia, though in disposition as fierce as wild cats, and not to be trusted. But the lad is, as you say, strong and nimble. I marked him practising with the sword the other day against Lucinus, who is a stout soldier, and the man had as much as he could do to hold his own against him. I was surprised myself to see how well he wielded a sword of full weight and how active he was. The contest reminded me of a dog and a wild cat. So nimble were the boy's springs and so fierce his attacks. Lucinus fairly lost his temper at last and I stopped to fight, for although they fought with blunted weapons, he might well have injured the lad badly with a downright cut and that would have meant trouble with the Iceni again. He is intelligent too, Julia replied. Sometimes I have him in while I am working with the two slave girls, and he will stand for hours asking me questions about Rome, about our manners, and our customs. One is never sure of these tamed wolves, caius said. Sometimes they turn out valuable allies and assistants, and at other times they grow into formidable foes, all the more dangerous for what they have learned of us however do with him as you like julia a woman has a lighter hand than a man and you are more likely to tame him than we are Cineas says that he is very eager to learn and has ever a book in his hand while not practicing in arms what i like most in him julia said is that he is very fond of our little berenice the child is taken to him wonderfully and of an afternoon when he has finished with Cnaeus she often goes out with him. Of course, old Lucia goes with them. It is funny to hear them on a wet day when they cannot go out talking together. She's telling him stories of Rome and of our kings and consuls, and he's telling her tales of hunting the wolf and wild boar and legends of his people who seem to have been always at war with someone. After Beric had resided for three years and a half at Camalodium, a great grief fell on the family of caius moro for the damp airs from the valley had long affected julia and she gradually faded and died beric felt the loss very keenly for she had been uniformly kind to him a year later Suetonius and the governor of the colony decided that as the Sarsi had now been quiet for nearly five years, and as Caius reported that their young chief seemed to have become thoroughly Romanized, he was permitted to return to his tribe. The present was his first visit to the colony since he had left it four months before. His companion, Boduoc was one of the tribesmen, a young man six years his senior he was related to his mother and had been his companion in his childish days, teaching him woodcraft and to throw the javelin and use the sword. Together, before Beric went as hostage, they had wandered through the forest and hunted the wolf and wild boar, and at that time Boduoc had stood in the relation of an elder brother to Beric. That relation had now much changed, although Dodoak was a powerful young man in Beric, but a sturdy stripling. The former was little better than an untutored savage, and he looked with great respect upon Beric, both as his chief and as possessing knowledge that seemed to him to be amazing. Hating the Romans blindly, he had trembled lest he should find Beric on his return completely Romanized. He had many times during the last stay at Camalodium carried messages to him there from his mother, and had sorrowfully shaken his head on his way back through the forest as he thought of his young chief's surroundings. Beric had partially adopted the Roman costume, and to hear him talking and jesting in their own language to the occupants of the mansion, whose grandeur and appointments filled Budaic with an almost superstitious fear, was terrible to him. However, his loyalty to Beric, prevented him from breathing a word in the tribe as to his fears and he was delighted to find the young chief returned home in british garb and to discover that although his views of the romans differed widely from his own he was still british at heart and held firmly the opinion that the only hope for the freedom of britain was the entire expulsion of the invaders He was gratified to find that Beric had become by no means what he considered effeminate. He was built strongly and massively, as might be expected from such parents, and was of the true British type that had so surprised the Romans at their first coming among them, possessing great height and muscular power, together with an activity promoted by constant exercise. Beric had fallen back upon the customs of his people as thoroughly as if he had never dwelt in the stately Roman town. He was as ready as before to undertake the longest hunting expeditions, to sleep in the forest, to go from sunrise to sunset without breaking his fast. When not engaged in hunting, he practiced incessantly hurling the javelin and other warlike exercises. When of an evening, he frequently related stories of Roman history to any chiefs or other guests of his mother, on which occasion the humbler followers would gather thickly in the background, evincing an interest even greater than that which they felt in the songs and legends of the bards. Beric generally chose stories relating to periods when Rome was hardly pressed by her foes, showing how the intense feeling of patriotism and the obstinate determination to resist, in spite of all dangers, upon the part of the population and the discipline and dogged valour of the soldiers saved her from destruction. He was cautious to draw no parallel openly to the case of Britain. He knew that the Romans were made acquainted by traitors in their pay with much that passed among the native tribes and that at first they were sure to interest themselves in his proceedings. At present there could be no thought of a rising and the slightest sign of disaffection might bring disaster and ruin upon his tribe, only when some unexpected event, some invasion of the rights of the Britons, even more flagrant than those that had hitherto taken place, should stir the smouldering fire of discontent and fade it into a fierce flame of revolt from end to end of Britain could success be hoped for. No Roman could have found fault with Beric's relation of their prowess or their valour, for he held them up to the admiration of his hearers. No wonder Rome is great and possible, he said, when its people evince so deep a love of country so resolute a determination in the face of their enemies, so unconquerable a spirit when misfortune weighs upon them. To the men he addressed, all this was new. It was true that a few princes and chiefs had visited Rome, occasionally as travellers desiring to see the centre of her greatness, more often as exiles driven from Britain by defeat and civil strife. But these had only brought back great tales of Rome's magnificence and the Britons knew nothing of the history of the invaders, and eagerly listened to the stories that Beric had learned from their books in the course of his studies. The report of his story spread so far that visits were paid to the village of Parta by chiefs and leading men from other sections of the Iceni to listen to them. Oratory was among the Britons, as among most primitive peoples, highly prized and much cultivated oral tradition among such people take the place of books among civilized nations story and legend are handed down from father to son and the wandering bard is a most welcome guest next on in valour oratory sways and influences the minds of the people and the ulysses had greater influence than an ajax from his earliest childhood beric had listened to the stories and legends told by bards in the rough palace of his father, and his sole schooling before he went to Camelodion had been to learn those by heart, and to repeat them with due emphasis and appropriate gestures. His father had been one of the most eloquent and influential of the chiefs of the Iceni, and had early impressed upon him the importance of cultivating the power of speech. His studies in Roman history, too, had taught him the power exercised by men with the gift of moving multitudes by their words. He had learned from books how clearly and distinctly events could be described by a careful choice of words and attention to form and expression, so that almost unconsciously to himself, he had practiced the art in his relations of the tales and legends of british history to berenice and her mother thus then the manner no less than the matter of his recitals of roman story gained him a high estimation among his hearers and he was already looked upon as a young chief likely to rise to a very high position among the iceni among the common herd his glowing laudations of roman patriotism devotion and sacrifice caused him to be regarded with disfavour and the epithet the roman was frequently applied to him but the wiser spirit saw the hidden meaning of his stories and that while holding up the romans as an example he was endeavouring to teach how much can be done by patriotism by a spirit of self-sacrifice and by unity against the common fold Parta was also proud of the congratulations that distinguished chiefs, famed for their wisdom throughout the tribe, offered to her on the occasion of their visits. Beric will be a great chief, one of the wisest of those said to her. Truly his sojourn among the Romans has done great things for him. It would be well indeed if every noble youth throughout the island were to have such schooling, if he had your son's wit and taken advantage of it he will be a great orator never among our bards have i heard narration so clear and so well delivered although the deeds he praises are those of our oppressors one cannot but feel a thrill of enthusiasm as he tells them yea for the moment i myself felt half a roman when he told us of the brave youth who thrust his hand into the flames and suffered it to be consumed in order to impress the invader with a knowledge of the spirit that animated the romans and of the three men who held against a host the bridge that their friends were breaking down behind him if he could stir me thus by his tales of the deeds of our enemies what will it be when some day he makes the heroes of britain his theme and calls upon his countrymen to imitate their deeds i have heard him called the roman parta now that i have listened to him i know that he will when the time comes be one of rome's most formidable foes i will tell you now that praesugius our king and his queen boadicea spoke to me about beric and begged me to come hither to see for myself this youth of whom they had heard reports from others some saying that he had returned a roman heart and soul while others affirmed that while he had learned much from them he had forgotten nothing of the injuries he had received at their hands in the death of his father and the disaster of the tribe i shall know now what to tell them to prastugius whose fear of the romans is either greater than his hatred for them i shall say that the lad is full of the glories of roman story and that there is no fear of his doing or saying aught that will excite the anger or suspicion of the romans to boadicea who hates the romans far more than she fears them i shall tell the truth and shall inform her that when the time comes as assuredly it some day will that the iceni are called upon to defend their liberties against rome in beric she will find a champion of whom i predict that he will be worthy to take his place in our history by the side of Caractus and Cassavillonus. May our gods avert that, like them, he fall a victim to British treachery. After leaving Boduach, Beric crossed the bridge built by the Romans over the Stour and entered the city. Camelodium was the chief seat of the Roman power in England. Although but so short a time had elapsed since Claudius had occupied it, it was already a large city. A comparatively small proportion, however, was Roman work, but all bore the impress of Roman art and civilization. For Cunobeline, whose capital it had been, was a highly enlightened king and introduced Roman ways and methods among his people. Men instructed in their arts and architecture had been largely employed in the building of the town, and its edifices would have borne comparison with those in minor towns in the Roman provinces. The conquerors, therefore, found much of their work done for them. The original possessors of the houses and of the highly cultivated lands lying around the town were ejected wholesale and the Romans, establishing themselves in their abodes and farms, then proceeded to add to, embellish, and fortify the town. The 2nd, ninth, and 14th legions were selected by Claudius to found what was called the colony and to take possession of the surrounding country. Claudius was appointed propator, or governor, and establishing himself in the royal palace of Cunobelene. His first step was to protect the city from renewed attacks by the Britons. He accordingly erected vast works to the westward of the town, extending from the sea to the river, by which means he not only protected the city from attack, but gained in case of an assault by overpowering numbers, the means of retiring safely to Mercy Island, lying a short distance from the shore. A council house And a tribunal were erected for the Roman magistrates. Temples, a theater, and baths raised. The civilian population increased rapidly. Architects, artists, and musicians, decorators, skilled artisans, and traders were attracted from the mainland to the rising city, which rapidly increased in wealth and importance. Conspicuous on the most elevated position stood a temple erected to the honor of claudius who was raised by the grateful legionaries to divine rank so strong and populous was the city that the trinobontes during the years that had elapsed since the romans took possession of it remained passive under the yoke of their oppressors and watched without attempting to take part in them the rising of the iceni and brigantes the long and desperate war of the silores and Ordovices under Caractacus, and the reduction of the belgae and dumnoni from hampshire to cornwall by vespasian yet had their spirit remained unbroken there was an opportunity for revenge for a large part of the veteran legionaries had been withdrawn to take part in the struggle against the western tribes. The tribes had, however, been disarmed, and with Camelodium on the north and the rising towns of London and Verulamion on the south, they were cut off from other tribes and could not hope for a final success, unless the powerful Iceni, who were still semi-independent, rose in the national cause. Whether their easy defeat of this tribe soon after the occupation of Camalodunum had rendered the Romans contemptuous of their fighting powers, or that they deemed it wiser to subdue the southwest and west of England, and to strike a heavy blow at the Brigantes to the north, before interfering with a powerful tribe so close to their doors, is uncertain. But doubtless they felt that so long as Prastugius, reigned there was little fear of trouble in that quarter as that king protested himself, the friend and ally of Rome, and occupied himself wholly in acquiring wealth and adding to his personal possessions. The scene in Camalodunum was a familiar one to Beric. The streets were thronged with people, traders from Gaul and Italy, Roman artesian and workmen. The haughty legionaries with shield and helmet, civil officials, Greek players, artists and decorators, native tribesmen with the products of their fields or spoils of the chase, walking with humble mien, and shopkeepers sitting at the open fronts of their houses while their slaves called the attention of passers-bys to the merit of the goods. Here were the rich products of eastern looms, there the cloths and linen of Rome. Further on a smith's Shop in full work, beyond that a silversmith's next door, to which was a thriving trader, who sold unguents and perfumes, dyes for the ladies' cheeks and pigments for their eyebrows, dainty requisites for the toilet, and perfume soap. Bakers and butchers, vendors of fish and game, of fruit, of east and spice and flavorings abounded. Druggists and dealers in dyes for clothing and in the pigments used in wall decorations and paintings were also to be found, and in fact this Roman capital of a scarcely subjugated country contained all the appliances for luxury and comfort that could be found in the cities of the civilized provinces. The only shops at which beric paused were those of the armorers and of the scribes at some of which were exhibited vellums with the writings of the greek and roman poets and historians and beric muttered to himself if i am ever present at the sack of camalodium these shall be my share of the spoil and i shall fancy that no one is likely to dispute their possession with me but he did not linger long boduoc would be waiting for him and he could not hurry over his visit the first he had paid since his absence. Therefore he pushed on with scarce a glance at the stately temple of Claudius, the magnificent baths, or other public buildings, until he arrived at the villa of Cass which stood somewhat beyond the more crowded part of the town. End of chapter one. Recording by Gary Ullman.